0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? If you'd like to support the show and help us tell more stories like the one you're about to hear, please visit crazyfaceuno.com today. There you can purchase items from our online store or donate. As always, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It's my honor and privilege to introduce our guest today, from the old Invisible Children days, Madeline Cronenberg. Welcome, Madeline.
1: Thank you, Shane. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Did I say your last name correctly?
1: You did. It's a big German last name. I just adopted it last year when I got married. Yeah, perfect. um, people, People mess it up all the time, but you nailed it.
0: Yes. I Man, I've been getting... Getting, uh, you know, I go through my little spiel when I get on the phone with you and kind of make sure we're all on the same page. And I usually ask, how do you say your name? And I I was like looking at your name and trying to make sure I had it right. And uh, I didn't ask you. So I'm glad I got it right. <laughs>
1: Oh, good. Yeah, MacDonald is my maiden name, which right. is much easier. Everywhere you go in the world, people know it. Um, yeah. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, you kind of spoke to it. You're, you're recently married, newly married. Um, I know that uh, I got married around the same time, or generally. I'm about a year as well as July. Oh, shoot maybe I shouldn't open this door July 6th I believe <laughs> was when uh, we got married my wife and I but nice. yeah so that's
1: amazing I was um August 11th so just about yeah um, about a month after
0: you yeah yeah right around that same time nice um well why don't you I'll let you kind of fill us in on what you're up to these days I didn't mention you know we're we worked at Invisible Children together, you were uh, a roadie and uh, one of the, the people that traveled around and, and presented and showed uh, the documentary and uh, I've had many guests from Invisible Children on here, so most of the people that are tuning in are familiar, but um, that's how we met. But what are you up to these days? What What is your current uh, employment, you know, uh, what are you doing for employment now?
1: Yeah, so I'm still in the nonprofit realm. Um, I work these days for a foundation, an anti-trafficking foundation called Dressember, um, and it's an anti-trafficking foundation that utilizes fashion and creativity as a way um, to raise funds and awareness that then gives back to different anti-trafficking initiatives around the world.
0: Yeah, and you're like right in the heart of everything. Like the the pinnacle of the season for you is right now, and uh, exactly. I really I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to join us. Um, and and I'm happy to be able to be a little bit of a voice here and kind of give you a platform to talk about Dress Simber. So, um, what? How did this all come about? How did you start working for or, or being a part of the foundation? And um, you know, where did that all come from?
1: Yeah, so it's funny, after Invisible Children, I was still in college at the time, so I mm-hmm. went back and I graduated from college, and like a lot of people had no idea what I wanted to do after I graduated, and so I just started to travel. Um, and I traveled for about three years. I lived on uh, two different continents yeah. um, during that time, and in Southeast Asia, and then also in um, in Denmark. Um and during that time, I was just experiencing a lot of injustice. Just mm. seeing, um, seeing human trafficking really everywhere I went, um, and realizing that this was an issue that no country was immune to. Yeah. Um, I lived, you know, in, in one of um, in Thailand, which was a really, um, you know, impoverished country. Yeah. And Up in Chiang Rai, right. Yeah, yeah, it's in Chiang Rai. And then I also lived in Denmark, which is a very wealthy country. Mm-hmm. And seeing human trafficking in both of those um, countries was, was really eye-opening for me. Um, and at the time, I was also listening to a lot of different podcasts. And one of the podcasts that I was listening to um, is called Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. Um, and Blythe Hill, who is the founder of Dress Member, was on the podcast. And she was talking about... Um, you know how she was using fashion as a way to get yeah. involved in uh, the fight against human trafficking, and talking about her style challenge, which is 31 days of either dresses or ties, mm-hmm. um, as a conversation starter that then raises these funds. Um, and I thought that was so awesome. And yeah. for someone who was still searching for how I could use my voice to really make a difference, and and exploring what I was really going to do for a career. Um, it appealed to me, and it wasn't until a few months after hearing her podcast um, that um, Talisa from Invisible Children posted in the uh, alumni Facebook group and said, you know, Dressumber is looking to hire their first hire, um, and it's a communications role. And um, for me, I'm someone who I love to write, I love to be creative, um, right. and it just seems to be the, the perfect fit. So at the time I was living in Denmark, and I was thinking, okay, how how am I going to make this work and apply for this position? Um, but just by pure fate, really, um, my boyfriend now husband uh, got a job in LA. Oh wow! Um, and he's and he's from Germany, so it's not a very you know common thing. Sure. Um, and so I was like, well, this role is in LA. Um, and yeah, I don't know what if it was fate or what it was, but um, applied for the position. Um, got to LA interviewed with Blythe um, and was offered the job and that was three years ago
0: that is so cool what a fun like story to like lead into you know this part of your life that's that's amazing it's like it was like you said fate you keep you keep mentioning the word fate and it, it just seems like things came together at the right time and and the way it was supposed to that's really cool
1: exactly yeah
0: um, yeah. And you mentioned Talitha. We've, we've had Talitha on the podcast as well. So if you're listening and you haven't listened to Talitha's podcast, go check that one out. It's a, it's a few episodes back, but it's another goodie. Um, yeah. She's
1: amazing. Yeah,
0: she is. She's fantastic. And she's the board chair, correct? For Dressember. She
1: is. Yeah. 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 Talitha such a connector. Yeah, she um, is. She's a, she's a good one. Yeah. She's a good one
0: to know. Yeah, absolutely. She is. You mentioned it travel and, and your time. Well, Actually, before I get into that, um, I want to I feel like there's a word when we talk about, um, you know, human trafficking and and just that that word in and of itself comes with so many different like connotations and like things that people think of. And could you help paint that picture for what these types of injustices, what these uh, sex trafficking and what trafficking in general kind of means to you and, and like what. I guess kind of define that and like help paint that picture of of what we're really talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I just posted on my Instagram today about this because I feel like when people hear the word human trafficking, there's one thing that comes to their mind. um, And there's many different forms of human trafficking. So one that we often hear about is sex trafficking, uh, which is someone who is forced to perform commercial sex acts. Um, But there's also child soldier trafficking, which you and I know well with our time in invisible children, um, people who are forced to fight um, in wars. Um, There's also forced labor trafficking, people who are forced to work in other sectors. Uh, There's debt bondage, people who um, are forced to pay back um, an impossible debt and therefore are exploited for their labor. Mm. Um, So it it takes many different forms. And the way that I think about it is it, basically exploiting someone, um, for profit. Mm. So anytime that, um, the, the actual definition is whenever forced fraud or coercion are present in a situation where somebody is being forced to do something against their will. Okay. Um, so, so that really expands it. You know, it's not yeah. just sex trafficking. It's not just this forced labor trafficking. Um, it can also be, um, child marriage or forced marriage. Mm. Um, is also included in that, so it, it equates to about forty million people in wow. the world today who are in um, human trafficking situations.
0: Wow, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I I feel like you know I you hear the word you know human trafficking or trafficking or you know these things a lot, and it's just hard to understand. I, I think that some people have a different connotation, and so I really appreciate you kind of defining that and like allowing us to to understand exactly what that word means and, and what this situation is that you guys are a part of and, and, and helping, you know, um, solve or eradicate, I guess, in and, and some ways or bring um, awareness to. I, I think it's just important to kind of understand exactly what that means.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And there are so many um, myths. Surrounding it, there's a lot of misconceptions out there, yeah. and that is the beauty of the 31-day style challenge is that we're able to break up this really heavy, complex, nuanced issue into 31 smaller, um, more digestible pieces so that by the end of this month, people who are following us um, and reading what we're posting, they're able to get a really clear view of what human trafficking is yeah. and how they're able to be a part of, of help, helping end it.
0: That's awesome. And it's such a simple thing, you know, I mean, it doesn't take much to either, even if you don't have a tie or a dress shirt, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like, or a, a dress, like there's so many ways that you can go about getting one, you know, there's, there's thrift stores, there's, there's different ways that are economically available for people. And it's just just such a simple way of bringing awareness to an issue that's important, and that we need to talk more about and and help uh, in whatever way we can. And I, I love, I love the simplicity of it. And yet the how loud and, and um, the way that it brings awareness to this, this situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you were talking about, you know, going to a thrift store and um, part of What we do at Member is we raise awareness about ethical fashion because Mm. a lot of people don't realize that the fashion industry is a huge perpetrator of forced labor and human rights abuses. Mm. And um, and so we have a a dress collection that we make every year um, in partnership with a sewing center in Nepal that employs survivors of human trafficking. Um,
2: oh, so cool. and
1: then, and then we also encourage people like go to secondhand stores, go to thrift stores to get your dresses and your ties. Um, you know, don't shop at these fast fashion brands,
0: these, sure. like
1: major brands, like, you know, forever 21, which we've just seen gone bankrupt. And uh, mm. really a huge reason why that is, is because, um, the world is starting to become aware of the people who are making our clothing. Yeah. Um, and so another aspect of our campaign is educating people on, you know, how your consumer dollar can be used for good, um, and should be used to purchase products that were made, um, with dignity.
0: That's great. That's awesome. What are, I mean, for people that maybe, maybe people didn't know, uh, that, you know, the fashion industry has, you know, been a part of this, um, this problem, I guess. And what, what's that kind of look like? Could you paint that picture for us as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, If you go to stores these days, you'll see that clothing is cheaper than it's ever been. I mean, you can find T-shirts in main department stores for $5, sweatshirts for $10, and the cost of these materials hasn't gone down, Mm. and everything else has gotten more expensive. So when you start to think about that, you can start to realize, oh, there's, something somebody's paying this price so that these clothes can be so cheap yeah um and the people who are paying that price is garment workers um and there was just a few years back there was a really um a really tough news story that came out there was this garment center um in Dhaka that fell it was called rana plaza and thousands of um, garment workers Died, wow. and one of the reasons that this happened was because they were li- they were working in unsafe working conditions, um, and and there was knowledge that these buildings um, were <laughs> were not like built for all these people, that um, mm-hmm. they were just trying to produce enough to feed our consumption, mm-hmm. um, and it was a huge wake up call to a lot of people that we don't really know where our clothes are coming from. Honestly, a lot of brands don't even know where all their clothes are coming from. Uh, Because there's such a journey that our clothes take in order to get to the stores that we shop at. Um, And then another thing is we used to have four seasons of clothing, Mm -hmm. right? So it was in the summer, you go and you buy summer clothes. And in the fall, you go and you buy fall clothes. But now we're seeing these micro seasons where in the fall alone, seasons can change up to 10 times. And what happens when we're producing that many clothes is that clothing becomes really cheap and disposable. Yeah. So um, I'm sure many of us have had, um, you know, a a piece of clothing that we can only wear a few times. And then it's just so cheap that we either throw it away or we don't wear it again. Yeah. Um, And we just keep consuming and keep consuming. um, And just the level of consumption that we consume with clothing um, is putting. A lot of stress on um, garment workers to produce all these, all this clothing for all of sure. these different seasons, um, and so it's something that a lot of brands haven't been held accountable for in the past. And mm-hmm. there was a huge movement um, to eradicate child labor in the garment industry, yeah. but that didn't eradicate the human rights abuses that are continuing to happen in these factories um, all over the world. So um, we do our part every year to educate people also on um, ethical brands and brands who are putting people above profit. Um, We have an ethical brand directory um, that we created this year where people can shop over 400 brands that uh, do have ethical standards in place to protect the people who make their clothes.
0: Wow, that's great. Did you guys create that, like, uh, you know, the... Checklist, I guess, uh, of sorts of what it means to be an ethical brand.
1: Yeah, so we actually go by International Labour Organization standards. Okay. Um, and I wish that I could remember them off the top of my head, but there are four standards, and if you sure. go to dressnumber.org org slash directory, um, they're listed there. You can cool. see how we um how we determine if a brand is ethical or not. Um, and a lot of brands are switching directions, um, and going in that direction of you know kind of showing their ethics and sustainability because more people are tuned into it which is really
0: cool that's awesome that's awesome is that is that the main um you know push in some ways is like i know there's it's a complex issue right there's there's so many like many things there's just multifaceted um, are there issues with like you know it's the inhumane ways that people are forced into these different factories or these different working conditions, correct? So it's not so much that, you know, it's a a job, it's just that they don't have another option. Is that more the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, when we see people go into human trafficking situations, forced labor situations, um, it all has to do with vulnerability. Okay. Um, People who who are desperate, in desperate circumstances, um, and so they're easily manipulated, um, and, and we see that in countries where factories are, are some of the main jobs people don't have, um, a choice. Yeah. And so I feel like as a consumer, it's my responsibility to make sure that we're holding brands accountable, not to shut down these factories, but to yeah. ensure that these factories are treating these workers right because they are vulnerable to abuse. They're vulnerable to, um, to not receiving the pay that they deserve. Um, and and they are human beings that are worthy of dignity and if i'm paying you know if i'm paying for a shirt that's ten dollars um they say that garment workers typically receive about one to three percent of that um so thinking about how much it takes to make a garment yeah and um and how little they're receiving for each piece that they create um we have to do better um and i think that with Dressember that wasn't on our radar in the yeah. very beginning when Blythe started this. she wasn't thinking about how clothing was a part of human trafficking sure um, and when she when she found that disconnect um, she started to think like okay this is it's kind of hypocritical if we're telling people hey where where all these dresses yeah. and all these ties yeah. for this one month when the clothing could have been made by people who are in human trafficking situations. So it has become kind of an arm of dress Ember um, that we, that we are able to educate and bring awareness
0: about. Yeah. And thanks for, thanks for addressing that. I mean, that was my question, I guess. It's not that the fact that you want them shut down and and not to have any sort of, it, it is a job for some people. It's just that we want, you want the people to be treated fairly, to be paid appropriately and, um, to be treated like a human being, like you said. And I think that's awesome. That's really great. So as we kind of shift gears here, I, I broke down and you kind of touched on it with, um, you know, your ability to travel quite a bit. And that was one of the things that I remember seeing, you know, pictures on on social media, some of your different travels and the places you got to see and the places you got to go. Um, what what started that? What was your what was that path like for you of of kind of going down the the travel road and uh, exploring these different places?
1: Yeah, after Invisible Children, um, obviously that was a, a really transformative experience for me. I got to travel yeah. around the United States with with Boney, who was my Ugandan teammate, and uh, we formed a really strong friendship, and he invited yeah. me to go visit him in Uganda. That's awesome. um, And so a year, a year after I went on tour, um, I got to go to Uganda, and it was my first real trip abroad. And I remember, um, I remember landing in Uganda and immediately feeling like, oh my goodness, I have so much to learn. Mm. I have so much to learn yeah. that I can't learn in a classroom, um, that I I just need to go out and explore and I was able to spend a month in Uganda and Rwanda and it was just life-changing honestly I learned so much from that trip um, Mm -hmm. just by observing different cultures and seeing how different people do life Um, and so after I graduated I it's a funny story but I got in a car accident and so I I had some money from this car accident that I was in um, from the settlement my parents told me if you want to travel like this is the time to do it before you have a job before you have all this responsibility um and so i was like i'm gonna take this little amount of money and i'm gonna travel as far as i can with it that's so cool Um, and i'm gonna use the time to just learn what the world has to teach me, um, and I had a few friends who were eager to go on a backpacking trip to Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had I had a contact in Chiang Rai, Thailand, uh, who ran a safe home there for girls who were um, who were vulnerable to human trafficking. And yeah, um, so yeah, I just started this journey. Had no idea how long I was going to be gone. Um, ended up being in Southeast Asia for about a year. I uh, got to travel all around. Uh, while I was there, met uh, my now husband in Vietnam, who, uh, like I said, is from Germany. Um, he ended up getting a job in Denmark. So I ended up moving to Denmark to be an au pair, still nice. trying to figure out life and what I wanted to do, um, have the opportunity to travel around Europe while I was in Denmark. Yeah. And then, and then three years later, um, started to feel like, okay, I... Should really <laughs> get a job, but I loved <laughs> having that time to travel because I felt like I I learned a lot. I um, I was really able to to learn what interested me, what I liked to do, uh, which I found was writing and sharing stories, and um, and really it it paved the way for me to step into my role um, after December. So even though it was you know a crazy time when I didn't yeah. really understand. You know, what I was going to do, and I felt very much like a nomad, I also um, am just deeply grateful for that time of travel.
0: What do you What do you feel, what are like a few things that, you know, that time that you had to travel and to experience, you know, different places in the world, uh, what do you feel like you learned from the, those experiences? Oh,
1: wow. There are so many things. I mean, I think... Just kind of like what I said before, learning that um, there's more than one way to live your life. And mm. when we're raised in, you know, American society, we think that there's one path that we yeah. should take. Um, and and just seeing how other people navigate the world um, was one thing that just really inspired me to take more of an unconventional route. Yeah. Um, to not feel, feel like I had to, you know, take this one straight path to my career and climb this corporate ladder. There was, um, there's more to more to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I mean, I was raised, um, in a kind of a bubble. And so to be able to just expand my views and expand my horizons, um, to me just helped me grow in every way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then, just leading back to the human rights thing, realizing that um, in many parts of the world, women, especially, are still vulnerable to um, to abuse, still vulnerable to exploitation.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and and seeing some of those abuses firsthand was definitely um, was definitely life changing for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny how you know I've got to travel a, a little bit. You know, maybe not as much as I'd like to, but <laughs> it's the story of everyone's life, I feel like. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like when you get to experience other cultures uh, and, and just when you get to know other people and the way they start to live, the way they live their lives and and the way we live our lives, it there's something about, you know, learning about other cultures and experiencing it for yourself and seeing, like you said, how other people live that is it bonds us together. It like unites us. It, it like shakes something up inside of us, and y- you hear it all the time, you know, of people going to, you know, a place that's out of their comfort zone or out of their like norm, of you know whether it's our Western society or or whatever that is, and it it opens your eyes to new to new things and new ideas and new experiences, and that's honestly it, it's some in some ways what I'm trying to do here with Crazy Face Uno is. The ability to share stories, to share that there are multiple ways to get to where you are in life, and and there isn't a right way or a wrong way. It's just that's that's life, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. bridging that gap, and and I think it's really cool. I I love I love traveling. I love learning about new people and new places and new things and the way people do things and the things that they they value, the things that are important, the things that um you know are just necessary, and the things that aren't in so many ways and uh, mm-hmm. travel is a great, great way to open your eyes to those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think really what, um, what you find when you travel is, um, how privileged you are, mm-hmm. um, which can be unsettling when you yeah. realize, Oh, a lot of people didn't have a brain that I had. And it was strictly because of, of where they were born right. and, um, and kind of grip, like, trying to um, figure out what to do with your privilege yeah um, is is really what I see a lot of people take away when they travel
0: yeah it's my it, it really is mind-boggling when you start to think about it through that lens that mm-hmm. I have the privileges I have the life that I'm living right now because I'm I I the luck of the draw you know I was born where mm-hmm. I was born in the family that I was born into and, and under these circumstances and that's why I have what I have and um, yeah, it, it, it can shake you up and I think it should, you know, and, and to kind of reflect and to think about how you live your life and the way that you, the way that you do live your life. And, uh, you know, we, we should, we should be intentional about that and, and intentional about the ways that we interact with the world. And just like you're doing with dressember and, and thinking about the way, you know, we buy products and consume, you know, things and, um, and how it affects other people. Mm, yeah what are there any memories or, or, or thoughts or things that come to mind when you think back on that time that you were able to travel and explore? Anything that sticks out?
1: Oh man. I mean there are definitely many um, in regard to just my awareness growing, with human trafficking. Um, when I was living in Chiang Rai, Thailand, the home that I was living in, they were helping a population of people who live essentially on the border of Burma and Thailand. Yeah. And these people are Burmese, but they're also not Thai. They're they're literally nomads. They They don't have citizenship to either, which sure. makes them very vulnerable because it limits the jobs that they're able to go into. So a lot of times, um, the only jobs available to them are drug trafficking or sex trafficking. Hmm. And like I was talking about before, you see these communities of vulnerability are at high risk of, of sex trafficking. And one um, little girl I learned was nearly sold to an older man for 30 bot, which is less than a single U.S. Wow.
0: dollar. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. And that was, and I had, you know, I'd heard about sex trafficking and I I had seen it, but to like, just hear how little money this little girl was going to lose her innocence for for that little amount of money
2: was
1: so unsettling to me that I just kept thinking like, there's, there is nothing worse than that. Like, you know, and, and it wasn't that her parents who were going to sell her for this amount were evil. It was vulnerability. It was desperation. Mm. Um, But, but realizing that there's gotta be a better way. And so um, one of the things that the safe house does is they um, take these girls and they help them to get Thai citizenship and they get them an education so that they aren't as vulnerable to human trafficking. Um, And so it was, it was cool to see how something like education um, can really transform how vulnerable somebody is, um, and, and decrease their, um, their vulnerability so that they don't have to find themselves in that situation. And they can reverse that completely for their family who, you know, might have experienced multi-generational, um, human trafficking.
0: Yeah, man, that's crazy. So my wife and I, we, we went on our honeymoon to Thailand actually. And so like 30 baht, like I, I think about that and I'm like, man, that's, like you could buy so much for, three hundred baht, You know, like, yeah. And you could, I don't know. It's that's, that's crazy. That that's like yeah the price. Uh, sorry, I'm still wrapping my brain around that.
1: I know. I mean, same. I remember thinking like, I must be translating this wrong. Not yeah. that any amount, you know, would have made it okay. Right. But just to see, like, this family was so desperate that they were willing to sell their daughter for less than a
0: dollar yeah it was
1: i mean it was like you
0: even like the the things you could buy with 30 baht isn't that much even you know Mm -hmm. it's like that's even like you you'd be hard-pressed to get you know a good amount of fruit for 30 baht let alone like Mm -hmm. you know i i don't know that's just that's like it's it's really hard to think about that's really crazy yeah
1: yeah, it's really mind-blowing, and and I think what I love about Dressmember is that we are able to partner with 15 different organizations who are combating human trafficking in different ways, mm-hmm. and really, a lot of our partners, are they're getting to the root of the problem. They're getting to the vulnerability of societies that are putting them at risk, um, so it's not just rescuing these girls yeah. who are already in situations, it's trying to find the communities that are most at risk. And putting things in place so that they are able to have dignified employment and have education um and not fall into it in the first place. So it's it's rescue, it's aftercare and it's prevention.
0: Yeah, it's holistic and that that's that's awesome. That's amazing. And something, you know, we mm-hmm. we talked a lot about at Invisible Children as well. And it's it's just cool to see, you know, Dress Ember being so connected to those different uh, those different ways of, of people helping in in that holistic idea is great. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Madeline, if, if we were to go back, if we, we take a step back here and we go back to childhood, how would, how would you describe your childhood? What, what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, I, I had a great childhood. I grew up pretty middle class in a suburb right outside of Seattle, Washington, and i mean we all we all carry childhood trauma no matter you know no yeah. matter how how we grow up but i really i felt supported growing up i mm-hmm. felt um yeah i i definitely was um was not exposed to a lot of injustice yeah as a child um and I think that's why seeing invisible children when I was you know in high school was so shocking to me because I really didn't know that things like this existed yeah Um, so my childhood was pretty was pretty good all around
0: that's that's amazing that's great and and it's funny because I asked that question and I I feel like I get a similar response most people say what what you just said or, or something along those lines and the other part that always goes with that is like well I just didn't know any different you know, like I didn't know any different at that time. Like, that's just the way my life was, you know, whether you had siblings or, or you're an only child is like, well, that's just, that was just the way it was. And which is, is funny. And I, I've thought about that as well. Like, I don't know any different either. You know, like uh, my, my childhood was great as well. And, uh, but I, I love that. I love that, you know, that you had that experience, I guess, of, of just kind of growing up and, um, as you, as you got older, even as you're talking about, you know, learning about invisible children in high school, um, what kind of, were there things along the way that kind of led you into this like empath- empathy, this empathetic um, heart, I feel like that you have now and, and like working for December and, and caring about the world around you? Were there things that, that inspired that? That's
1: a great question. I I think I remember one time um, my brother was going through something really hard and I remember feeling really sad with him Um, and I was young and I remember like telling my mom like this makes me, it makes me really sad that he's really sad. Yeah. And my mom telling me, oh, like you have the gift of empathy. Like Mm. you can feel, you can feel things like with other people. Yeah. Um, And I remember her telling me like, it's such a great thing, but it's also a hard thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And and I feel <laughs> like you know when I was living in the house with all the roadies and invisible children, there was so much empathy in that room,
2: oh, um, my and there was
1: a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, talk about people who just feel mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and I I think I struggled with that a lot um, in my childhood. Was just navigating how I felt with other people, um, and, and feeling like I had a lot of emotions. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Likewise. (laughs) Yeah. Likewise. I feel like I've, I've started to explore that as I've gotten a little older as well of like almost a sense of like, what, what's the appropriate, like it's understanding empathy and, and empathizing with people, but then knowing what to do with that feeling. You know
1: mm-hmm. exactly exactly because a lot of times you carry the emotions of other people with you yeah and if you don't know how to um navigate it and you don't have other outlets it can um it can be really tough to know what to do with it
0: yeah absolutely absolutely what were what were some of your interests growing up when you were a child
1: I was a big volleyball player. I nice. loved I loved volleyball and and I actually I played volleyball competitively for a few years. and then, um it was my sophomore year of high school. I tore my wrist, I uh, tended in my wrist <laughs> from an overuse injury playing volleyball. and that was really my only like, Thing. Like that was my thing. And yeah. so to have that thing kind of taken away from me, uh, had, I had to reconsider <laughs> what my hobbies were. Yeah. Um, and I, I was able to get into leadership at my school. Um, nice. the ASB, if anyone knows what that is, um, and, and grow in student government and, uh, student leadership. That was kind of where my, my hobbies ended up being after
0: having this um this injury and not being able to play volleyball anymore nice that's that sounds painful one that sounds like a painful thing yeah sports were a big thing for me growing up as well I I I like they still are a big thing to me and I uh, was lucky enough that I never injured myself like that and I, I was able to continue to to play those sports and those athletics that I enjoyed I like don't know what I would do if I was in that situation i I can't imagine like having to be like now what do i do you know
1: yeah yeah i remember sitting in the doctor's office and they were saying like we're not going to sign this form so that you can play and i was
0: like what
1: where do (laughs) but what do i do yeah um but i mean uh, like most you know hard things that happen you look back and you see that something really beautiful came out of that which was you know getting into student leadership and yeah um, and, and finding that I, I was a leader and that I had a voice um, was was something I would have never really had had I not
0: continued been playing yeah.
1: volleyball. So, yeah.
0: So yeah, it
1: was, it's so true. It was those a blessing
0: to hindsight's always twenty twenty, you know, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's crazy. What did you say you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Oh, I was on a nonprofit panel. A few weeks ago and everyone was asked this question on the panel really and everyone had like amazing amazing answers they're like oh, i want to be a lawyer or <laughs> i wanted to work in human rights and i was like i wanted to be a wedding planner see
0: i um, think yours is better personally <laughs> so like to be fair you can you can uh poo poo your own but i think yours is better than the like lawyer whatever like Wedding planner. I also I wanted it. to
1: be like, did you really want to be a lawyer yeah, right? when you were <laughs> seven years old? Um, but yeah, I, I like loved party planning um, and thought, oh, wedding planning is so fun. Um, and then I planned my own wedding. Yeah. That's going to ask that I next. I was like, oh, this, this was enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, working at Invisible Children, we We put events on all the time, you know, and logistics and events are, they're my thing. I enjoy it. I love it. And, uh, but your own wedding is a whole nother ball game. And, uh,
1: yeah, there's something about weddings. It's like a whole different other type of event. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so who knows, maybe someday in life I will still be a (laughs) wedding planner, but, um, but that were those are my childhood ambitions.
0: I love it. I love it. That's so awesome. I love that question because you know, everybody's, I, I had a, I was just talking to somebody the other day, um, Saul, I think it was Saul Malone. Do you remember Saul? Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And, uh, I
1: know Saul. He was a roadie with me. Yeah,
0: yeah. I thought he I thought he might have been once I realized it was him. And he said he wanted to be a, a dump truck driver, you know, growing up. And I'm like, yeah, see, like, I love that. Like, those are the good ones. Those are the good, like, things that you're like, you had no idea when you were a kid. You didn't know what you wanted to be. you just like, saw something that was like something you liked and thought was cool. And you were like, yeah, I want to be that. And, uh, I love that. I think it's really, really interesting.
1: That is hilarious.
0: What, what kind of student were you? It sounds like you were a pretty good student.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I was a pretty good student. I, I really enjoyed school. Um, I was so sad when I graduated from college because I, I really enjoyed, um, education i I really i really yeah loved it um and i actually am thinking in the future that i still want to pursue more education um because i miss it
0: yeah yeah i've i've it's funny because i didn't really love learning i guess i i don't feel like i enjoyed that as much as i do now you know back in the day and i was like man i wish when i was in college or high school i would have been like I am now in some ways where I'm like, oh, I just want to know, like, teach me more. You know, like, tell me more about right. that. Like, I didn't know anything about right. that. Um,
1: like all those years of free schooling where you just yeah. take it for granted. And all of a sudden, if you want to go back to school, it's yep. super expensive.
0: I know, it is. I'm like, can I just, like, sit in on a class? Like, I don't want to do any of the homework. I just want to learn, you know? Like, Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like, uh, you know, there's so many different resources now where you can you can learn so much through technology which is crazy right right what was um you know what was your motivation I guess I don't know exactly what you went to college for but as you were thinking about that in high school were there things that inspired you or or directed uh you or pushed you in the direction that you went
1: yeah I changed my major so many times in college um and I really think that a lot of things changed when I went on the road with Invisible Children because I was a sophomore. I was a sophomore at the time. I was thinking about going into education. Um, And then, you know, Coney 2012 was a really intense season.
0: Good verbiage. um, I like
1: that. (laughs) (laughs) Intense is a great way Um, to describe that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And afterwards, I was really trying to figure out um, what would be helpful like how could I help the world and I went into psychology thinking counseling was going to be my thing yeah um and actually my first real job out of college um was I I was a like a, a rehab counselor for um for young teenage drug addicts who had just come out of the juvenile system wow um, and I was only there for two months before I realized that counseling was not for me. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was just kind of like a, I was essentially like a residential assistant, mm-hmm. not an actual counselor, but was playing the role of a counselor. And it, it showed me that that wasn't the avenue that I wanted to go down. Yeah, um, which was also really helpful because it sure. showed me more what I did want to do. Um. So yeah, my college was really just exploring a lot of, of different options and trying to figure out like what I can do to help the world and yeah hitting dead ends as we do
0: what it what did you go into college what was your major going into college
1: I thought education, education. was, was okay. where I wanted to be yeah. yeah
0: yeah and that's when you switched yeah I was interested in counseling as well I switched I was a nursing major going into college uh so I spent my first years. oh so interesting yeah. Nursing major and some of the gen eds, but I didn't get into the nursing program and I uh, was going to be set back a year if I wanted to, to do that. And so I was like, Nah, I'm good. And I, I like reached the six month, like the first semester into the first semester. I remember being on the phone with my mom and being like, I don't think this is what I want to do, but I don't know what that is or if that's, you know, I just don't feel like I'm in the right spot. So until I have, you know, some confirmation on that, I guess I'll just stick this out. And then I got to the end of the first year and it was like, yeah, you're not going to get in the nursing program. I was like, okay, well, there's my confirmation. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I I was interested in counseling as well, which is interesting. And I never pursued that. But, um, yeah, uh, that was an interest of mine when I went into I went for youth ministry, adolescent studies and youth ministry was my major. And uh, I was thinking about going the psychology route or I could go. I went to a small, you know, liberal, liberal arts Christian college and uh, I was like, well, I want to learn more about Christianity and, and my, you know, and faith and whatever. So we'll go that direction and the rest is history. I don't have anything to do with that anymore. So it's, uh, it's a a degree that I get to hold <laughs> on to and say, like, look at me, I have a degree. <laughs> yeah. So, I
1: mean, a degree is a degree. And- yeah. 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 What
0: school did you go to? Uh, Bethel College. It's now Bethel University okay. in in Indiana, Northern Indiana.
1: Oh yeah, very yeah. cool. I went to a small private Christian liberal arts as well.
0: Okay. What was yours called? So it
1: was called Lee University. Okay. In uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. So East Tennessee.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I feel like so I played soccer there. I, I never. I was on our JV team, but on our second string there. But. uh Um, I feel like you guys may have had a decent soccer program. That sounds familiar.
1: We had a really good soccer program. See? Um, Yeah.
0: It's one of the things we were
1: known for.
0: Yeah. I had a feeling that that was the case because that sounds really (laughs) familiar. (laughs) That's Uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you have people, mentors or, you know, people that you looked up to high school, college that, that kind of helped direct you or, or helped you along the way?
1: Yeah, I I would say that I was I was looking for mentors. Yeah. Um, all throughout college, and I was a part of a, a really cool um, club of girls who um, we were kind of like a fake sorority, like we couldn't be a real, you <laughs> yeah. know, like we weren't like an actual um, sorority, but we had these um, these Greek clubs at my school, and my great club was full of just amazing, compassionate. Women um, and when I first got in, I was just a freshman, and I remember all of these all of these older members um, were such incredible mentors to me, um, and, and just being able to see how they left the club and see what they ended up doing with their lives. A lot of them did go into nonprofit work and um, and, and are in counseling and and doing all these really amazing things. Um, so that was definitely definitely a really great opportunity for me to just um to seek advice and to to really learn how to like embrace who I was and um I I would say I'm still looking for mentorship yeah. even now um it's, it's hard to find the right match for you and that yeah. it's hard to find people who have time to be the right match for you but yeah. I've always been open to it and um hope that I can also mentor people someday
0: yeah absolutely it's hard as you as we get older you know like i feel like it's even harder to like find and to locate some of those things that you want and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: especially mentorship and just people that you can trust and and they can breathe life into you and kind of give you that that uh support that mentors often do Um, yeah yeah for sure so you okay i was trying to put this time timeline together in my head so you you learned about invisible children in high school but you were a sophomore in college when you applied or or when you started working for invisible children
1: yeah exactly so um i was at a leadership conference in washington um for my high school nice and i actually just accidentally walked into the invisible children screening nice um and I was sitting there with my friend Emma and we were watching, I can't even remember which documentary it was now, maybe The Rescue. Okay. And I remember just like grabbing her hand like halfway through and being like, this is not happening. Like, <laughs> I cannot believe that these children are yeah. being kidnapped and forced. And I mean, again, it was like my privilege was just like, my bubble was, was yeah. bursted. And I was like, wow, this is in." saying I have to do something. Yeah. And um and I remember talking to some of the roadies afterwards and them just like pouring like life into me and being mm. like, You have the power to change the world, even though you are like sixteen years old. Yeah.
2: Um
1: and I started an invisible children club at my high school where I was um the only member and um did That's book awesome. cl- or did a uh, did the book drive and raised all these books and yeah. was able to donate them, um, which was cool. And then when I got into college, there was actually an invisible children club at Lee university. Um, and so I finally had some people to, um, to do it with me. Um, and then we got invited to the fourth estate for our fundraising which yeah. the, for those of you. Yeah. The fourth Estate was a big conference that invisible children put on and it was there, um, when I was a, I guess I was a freshman in college at the time. Okay. Um, was that, a, was was like, that the okay, first, fourth
0: estate? The first one?
1: It was the first one. Yeah. The original. Yep. Um, and it was, it was amazing. It was a great conference. I was, I felt so empowered. Yeah. Um, and it was then that I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to apply and I'm going to do this. Um, so dropped out of school, sophomore year, of course, ended up going back and finishing. But yeah. um, to do, to do Coney 2012, not having any clue what i was getting myself
0: into yeah i don't think anybody did (laughs) no yeah which is which is funny because i i mean you know i was there i was at invisible children at that time i I wasn't a roadie at the time i did so i was a roadie for two tours uh fall 2010 and then spring 2011 and uh i actually i went to mississippi alabama georgia and florida on my first one deep south which i live in florida now so it's like where i I was in charge of Florida, so I'm, like, where I where I was in charge of. It's kind of interesting. Um, and then I went back to my, like, home area, which was uh, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. Um, the Great Lakes was my second tour. Oh, yeah. But I feel like, you know, and I don't I, – I guess I'm asking it more so because I don't exactly know what your experience was, but I feel like you had such a different experience than, like, roadies in the past and, and, and people – that went on the road with invisible children from the past because of Coney 2012. Do you feel that way or do you like, does that make sense at all to you?
1: Yeah. So I was on team tri-state. I was um, on Gabby and Brian's team who I know have both been on the podcast. Yeah. Um, And we had a really interesting tour and experience because we were in New York city, (laughs) Yeah. um, which is like, not a great place to be when you're in the middle of a really controversial yeah um campaign um and so we experienced a lot of um adversity which i Mm. was not expecting in the slightest and we were receiving hate notes on our van and people were vandalizing our van yeah um
0: i forgot that you were in tri-state that's
1: yeah. So, and I had never really even been to the East Coast before, and mm-hmm. so it was—it was just, you know, shocking to yeah. see people being um, so against what I felt like was such a good thing. Yeah. Um. But but it was also really um, really revitalizing for me because in the face of adversity, that's really where you find your voice. And so um, I felt like I was really able to overcome in that tour. And um, I was really proud of our whole roadie group because we were one of, I think, the only roadie groups where nobody went home. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think you were. Yeah, yeah, we stayed throughout the entire tour and getting to come back and unite with everyone after a really, you know, tough time on the road and realizing like we all made it. (laughs) Yeah. And um, you know, there was so much impact that Coney twenty twelve had, even though, you know, it was overshadowed by a lot of different things, seeing the programs that we were able to um to help fund was was really um incredible and made it, you know, all worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's insane. That that time of my time of Invincible Children, that like that part of the the whole process of that story is just Mind-boggling. I don't know if I've ever really fully unpacked all of that. It's so, so interesting to think about and um, just how much of a blur sometimes it is, you know, there's just like little like bits and pieces that I remember. And um, I just, it was such a hard time and difficult time, but yeah, it, we all came together and we all pushed through and to be face to face with people that just don't understand like what you're doing, you know, to go from one minute being so loved and cherished and everybody wanting to be a part. And, you know, I mean, for the most part, it was just like everybody loved Invisible Children to then being this like... Mm-hmm. this Evil. Yeah, so just we the, evil. the backlash of like, really, like you turned on us that fast? Like, but, and, and then to have, and I think you get this because it's something that, we believed in so strongly, you know, and, and really still do. I mean, nothing's really changed in my belief. It's only strengthened since that experience, to be completely honest. I, but I, I just, it was so jarring. It was so, it was, it was trauma in so many different ways. I know that's a little dramatic maybe, but I'd really truly believe that. It was something like being almost a, Identity crisis of you know like what you were doing there. You're like, wait, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, this is something I've poured my my blood, sweat, and tears into. You know, and like, yeah. Now, now you're telling me I'm wrong and and I'm the worst thing that's ever you know like in the world. Like, you just you just spit in my face. You know, and uh, yeah. it was really difficult. It was really hard. I don't know that I've ever really gotten over that. I think I I still hold on to a little bit of that sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think we all do. It was it was a really intense season, and like it's funny that you say like it was like people were spinning in your face because I went to a middle school and a, a student came up and spit in my face, and oh I remember I remember thinking like, what happened? Like how? Yeah, like how did this turn so yeah. quickly? But I was also living with. Someone who had experienced the war firsthand yeah. and having to explain to like classrooms and churches that like this is a real issue that's going on, and people would would bring up printed articles saying like this this is not a real issue. Like here's an article that says it's not. Yeah. When like the person next to me is someone who you know that was his childhood. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, it. I. I still face a little bit of fear with. just like one day it becoming too big to where we can't handle it um and yeah I I think we all do carry a little bit of that trauma with us for sure
0: I just Um, I feel like my it's like it's like resentment I don't know it's it's like I'm sad it like hurts my feelings like you even telling me that you got like, spit on, and like thinking about, yeah, your Ugandan teammates standing there and basically someone telling them that they're a liar, that what they've gone through mm-hmm. doesn't matter and wasn't real and wasn't true. It's, mm-hmm. it like hurts, you know? Like,
1: yeah, I think I've, I've grown a little bit in compassion for people who, um, deny that mm,
0: injustice
1: exists. Yeah. I mean, when you think about Holocaust deniers sure. and, um, y- y- people even, just the other day, someone commented on our Instagram and they're like, you know, human trafficking sounds like a whole lot of bull. And I, I responded and I was like, yeah, I like know how you feel. Like it's so easy to just ignore it and believe that it doesn't exist yeah. because that's easier than believing that there is something this evil yeah. in the world. Um, And so, yeah, I I don't think I really have that compassion at the time for Mm -hmm. those people who were saying that, but I can see now that these issues are really heavy and it makes sense that if people see an article that says, oh, it doesn't exist, don't worry about it, that they're going to be like, yeah, it it doesn't exist. I want to believe that it doesn't exist. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's hard to know what to believe sometimes these days. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, I, we can move on from going to 2012 and and we could talk about that (laughs) all day long. It just like, it, it still hurts. And I, I know that I haven't really dealt with that and, you know, I, I've, I still have some of that, that I residual (laughs) of, uh, those hurts and, and pains that I haven't really worked through, but what a good time. And I mean, thank you for, uh, you know standing up for what you believed in and, and continuing to do so. You know, I think that it's important and there's so many things that you can stand behind and, and rally for or against these days. And, uh, I don't know, I I'm really proud of, of everything that we did and the things that we accomplished in the face of adversity at invisible children during that time and, and what they're, what invisible Children's doing now. And, and just what, people like you, Madeline, that are, you know, continuing to take on uh, challenges in this world and, and helping others um, in in some of the worst situations. I think it's amazing. I think it's awesome. And I'm really proud of, you know, Invisible Children and the people that have came and gone and, and continue to go out into the world and serve others. I think it's amazing. Thank you.
1: I'm, I'm proud of us too, and I, I really enjoy um that you have this podcast and that you've interviewed so many people from invisible children because there was just so many amazing people um that are still doing incredible things in the yeah. world and, and seeing yeah seeing that we all started here and you know it's it's beautiful
0: it is it really is well uh, i have a few more questions for you and then we'll kind of uh close things out and you can um you know kind of plug Dressember and, and a few other things at the end here but What would you say uh, you're most proud of to date?
1: I would say um, that in every season of my life, I feel like I have done something, even
2: Mm.
1: um, when I didn't have money, even when I didn't have time, Um, you know, I've struggled with a lot of anxiety, and um, and one of the things that anxiety tells me is like what you do doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and I think like I'm just proud of myself for like still going,
2: you know, just yeah.
1: still still finding ways to get involved, um, even when my mental health, you know, tells me that I it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I second that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What. What do you look forward to most in the future? Do you have any goals and ambitions?
1: Yeah, I would love to eventually, um, go back to school and, um, maybe even go into education. Um, nice. which is, it's funny cause you know, that's kind of where I, I started yeah. in college, but, um, I think realizing that I, I love to teach, um, and you can teach in so many different ways, not just, you know, as, as a teacher, but, Absolutely. um, Maybe getting a master's in education and, and just seeing where seeing where things go.
0: That's awesome. Good for you. Do you ever do you ever think about your legacy?
1: Yeah, yeah, I actually am um, my husband and I have been talking about that a lot because we have moved around a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, we, like every two years we've made a big move. Yeah. Uh, we just moved from LA to San Francisco. Uh, which is not as far as our first move, which was Denmark to LA. But we're realizing that like when we move, we're moving away from these relationships that mm. we've built. And typically we've moved for careers yeah. and, um, and kind of starting to realize that it's not your careers that we necessarily want to be remembered for. It's mm. the relationships that we have and like who, who we are to our friends and um, trying to figure out how in this season that we can, um, that we're away from our friends and family, that we can still pour into our friendships and our relationships. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what you are remembered for. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily, you know, how much money you were able to raise or um, you know, what you, what you did for the world is like what you did for the people in your life that you
0: love. I love it. that's beautiful. man, so good. I need to like they I, I like I, I love what did you say you said it's not uh, your career, but it's like the people that you like the way you impacted people. I don't know how you said it, but it was so beautiful, it was so perfect and I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this one and write that down. I, I think that's I think that's so beautiful uh last question looking back what advice would you tell little madeline
1: oh man um i think that i would tell little madeline that um it's okay to take the time that you need to find out um what your passions really are Mm. um because I think a lot of us, we are, we're so um, desperate to find, like, our calling and our thing um, that we're just, like, gr- like grasping for anything
2: yeah. that can
1: make us feel like we have purpose. And I don't think we give ourselves enough time. And um, I think that for me, really, the catalyst in my life was, was traveling and was giving myself the time to explore my passion and my purpose.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish that I had known that when I was younger, that it's okay to take that time yeah. to figure that out.
0: Good advice. Good advice. I love it. Madeline, thank you so much for coming on. How can people get involved with Dress Simber? It's not too late, everybody, if you're listening. Um, how how can people get involved with Dress Simber? Where can they they learn more about Dress Simber and, and follow what you guys are doing?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's absolutely not too late. We have a lot of people, we actually have thousands of people who still make pages in the first and second week of December. Um, if you go to Dressember.org, it's spelled just like dress, um, and then at the end, Ember, E-M-B-E-R, so D-R-E-S-S-E-M-B-E-R.org. Um, you'll see where you can create your free campaign page. From there, you're able to link up a Facebook fundraiser um, and fundraise with your community. We have shareables for you. Uh, We have daily statistics and daily readings where you can learn more about the issue of human trafficking. Um, Or go to Dressember on Instagram, spelled just like um, dressember.org, D-R-E-S-S-E-M-B-E-R. We post a lot of really, um, really good content there. Um, You can learn a lot um, just on any of our social media channels.
0: Perfect, perfect. What, uh, go ahead, is there anything you want to to leave us with, and any advice, anything you want to add to this conversation before we go?
1: You know, I'm just really grateful for um, your platform to share stories, and and I agree with you that I think everyone's story has so much purpose, and Mm. um, if you're, you know, sometimes I remember listening to podcasts and thinking like, I wish I, you know, had a story to tell, and yeah um,
0: I, I get that I a think lot
1: recognizing yeah like we we literally all have a story yeah um, and we don't realize how much our stories can actually inspire other people yeah um, so don't wait for a podcast to tell your story
0: absolutely that's awesome yeah. thank you so much for that yeah thank you Madeline thank you. so much for coming on the show I really appreciate it I'm gonna close this out now all right Bye. bye Thank you all so much for listening. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram where you can like and comment on our post. If you want to go above and beyond, please share the Crazy Face Uno podcast with your friends and family or just random strangers on the street. We're welcome to everyone. Once again, please visit crazyfaceuno.com to purchase our merchandise and donate. Your contributions help us tell more stories like Madeline's and stories just like yours. And don't forget... Go to dressember.org. Follow Dressember on Instagram and Facebook and all those social media sites. Thank you all so much for listening. We love you all. Peace.